0: Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. In the comfort zone, and there is no comfort in the growth zone. <laughs> if you get everything else, remember that today, okay? There is no comfort in the growth zone, there's no growth in the comfort zone. You, if you want to go to the next level, you got to be a little uncomfortable. That's the way this gospel works. In fact, you think, well, I don't know if that's in the New Testament, is it? Yes. Jesus says, if you want to go to the next level, deny yourself, which is uncomfortable. Take up the cross, which is uncomfortable, and follow me, which Jesus would show is a little uncomfortable. But that's the abundant life. So we're saying right there, if you want to go to the next level of abundant living, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. All growth is. All learning is. That's how we get the next level of abundant living researchers at the university of california berkeley did an experiment some years ago and what they did was uh, they introduced an amoeba pretty small thing an amoeba and what they did is they put that amoeba into a perfectly stress-free environment you know where we all want to live lord could i live this life without stress please let me live it without stress please no more stress i don't like stress lord help They put this amoeba in a stress-free environment. In other words, it was the ideal temperature. It was optimal concentration of moisture, constant food supply, everything this amoeba needs to make a go into a lack of stress and comfortable living. Uh, Yet with all that, everything that one happy little amoeba could have, whatever it is that gives amoebas ulcers and high blood pressure, It was gone, and that amoeba died. And the reason the amoeba died is, apparently there's something in all living creatures, even amoebas, that have to have challenge, that have to have some discomfort. We require, as living beings, change. We require adaptation. We require challenge the way we require food and air. We have to have it or we die. And if you really believed in your hand clap a few moments ago, say, I want to go to the next level, then what you're asking for is some level of discomfort to get me to that next level. Matt Ayers was here the other day preaching and Matt, as you know, has been a Haitian uh, 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 missionary for the last 13 years. And he told us about Haitian palm trees. I don't know if you remember this or not, but he says the more wind blows those trees over, the more wind stresses those trees, the faster they grow. They don't tend to grow very fast if they're not challenged. I just imagine this in Genesis 12. All right, Abram, I need for you to help me here. I need. I got a problem. I got a sin problem. So I need Abram for you to help me. So Abram says, "Well, what do you need, God?" And God says, I need for you to leave everything you know. I need for you to leave your inheritance. You know, you're basically a millionaire. I get that. Leave it all behind. Leave all this. Leave the comfort of your family. Leave everything back and come with me. Well, where are we going, God? Can't tell you. That's not important for you to know right now. What is important is I will make you a nation that will bless all the nations and help them with their sin problem too. That's all, though. You just got to leave everything. Little discomfort in that moment, I would think. But Abram finally signs on, and y'all, he's asking you to do the same thing today. I want you to leave all of you behind and go for me. And when you do, watch me bless you. But blessing's going to be hard to come by if you're trying to hang on to you, trying to hang on to your stuff, trying to hang on to your ambition. The first thing is the Rephidim principle. If you want to go to the next level of abundant living, then you need to know He's going to take you from comfort and your resting place and apply discomfort so that you can go to that next level. I'd ask for a hand clap right now, but I don't think I'll dare it. Now let's try it. Anybody here into discomfort today, huh? Yeah, Woo. Yeah, that, that's a hand clap by faith right there, I can tell. The second thing is this, wilderness education. Notice that it says wilderness three times in the first two verses. God does some of his best work in the wilderness. Now, do you believe that today? In the university of the desert, God instructs. And so, Merriam-Webster says this, what is the wilderness? It's an uncultivated, uninhabited, inhospitable region. Think about that. God does some of his best work where life isn't cultivated, where it's uninhabited, where there's inhospitality. I mean, he does some of his best work in the toughest of places. And I believe it's true. After the persecutions were over, you remember the first three centuries of the church were difficult. And in these centuries, persecution was happening, the Christians just hung in there like a, Rusty fishhook. I mean, they just, they just hung in there. They were noble. They were good. They bled. They died, and they hung in there. But then something happened. Constantine came along, and he says, okay, now Christianity is the official religion of the Roman Empire. So all of a sudden, Christianity was out. Now it's in. I don't mean it happened seemingly like that. It felt like that to a lot of people. And there's a group of guys called the Desert Fathers that said... Hey, it used to be that we were persecuted. Now something worse has happened. We're being assimilated. All of a sudden now, we are in, and we can be comfortable. We no longer have to be afraid. I remember I was doing a radio show one day. Some of you remember I used to have a radio show. And uh, in this radio show, I was actually interviewing uh, a guy that had written a book from China. He was talking about the persecution over there, how tough it was over there for the gospel. And at the end of the interview, I asked him, I want to pray with you right now. How can we pray for you with your plight in China? He says, that's a very good question. I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? He says, well, I would pray that you would ask God to take away the persecution. But if God takes away the persecution, which is horrible, people are dying because of that persecution. It's tough on the Christian because of that persecution. But if that persecution is taken away, Our purity will be taken away with it. We'll be assimilated into a sinful culture. And I don't know how you pray. So I just prayed. Lord, we don't know how to pray here. But we pray for the proliferation of the gospel in China. However, Jesus, you decide to do it. Y'all, that's what happened with the Desert Fathers. They said, oh, no, we're getting assimilated. We got to run. And they ran. And they ran for the deserts. And they ran for the caves. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't think that's appropriate. I think whatever culture we're in, God wants us in this culture to be salt and to be light. And this is an easy culture in which to be a Christian. And it's a very hard culture in which to be a Christian. All at the same time. Desert Fathers were out there in caves. And Richard Foster's written a great book where he includes uh, several pages on the Desert Fathers. He says, in the fourth century, when the desert fathers were out there living in caves, they understood that their world was asking, how can I get more? Back in Rome, everybody's asking. Back in America, everybody's asking, how can I get more for me, more money for my retirement, more money for my living? How can I get a better easy chair? How can I get better and more exquisite? Food? How can I get more of what life has for me? Woo-hoo! Bring it on, God. Prosper me. The world was asking, how can I get more? The Desert Fathers asked, what is there I can do without? So I can put my total attention, not on the things, but on God. He says, their world asked, how can I find myself? The Desert Fathers asked, how can I lose myself, deny myself? Their world asked, the world asked, Rome asked, America asks, how can I win friends and influence people? The Desert Fathers ask, how can I love God? Y'all, these are great questions. What can I do without? How can I lose myself? How can I love God? And it was out in the desert they learned the answers to those questions. So, you want to live the abundant life? There's a Rephidim Principle. There's wilderness education. Then there's this. You've got to accept the grace that God wants to bestow on you. you. He wants to, but you've got to accept it. Look at this. It says, verse 4, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians. Notice, God's saying, what I did to the Egyptians. You couldn't have done it. You could not have freed yourself. I did to the Egyptians how I bore you on eagle's wings and how I brought you to myself. That's pure grace. They're back there in Egypt. They'd probably be back there in Egypt even today. If it hadn't been God that says, enough, now's the day of freedom. Now's the day of deliverance. And so he saved them, got them out of there. You cannot save yourself. Everybody say it right now. I can't save myself. Only God can do that, and only God could get Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery. It's true. Can I say something here real quick? Look at that ugly bird up there. It says here, I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Scholars aren't quite sure what eagle's wings is in the Hebrew, but they're quite sure it's not a bald eagle, you know, the thing we so love in America. They're pretty sure it was a griffin vulture. That kind of changes it, doesn't it? How I bore you on vulture's wings and brought you to myself. And we're not exactly sure what this is all about. Well, it's one ugly bird, isn't it? We like the romantic-looking bird, the mean bird, the bald eagle bird. We like that one. Man, this ugly thing. No, no, no. Let's not be saved by that. But here's the point. We think it was probably a political statement that's being made here. God can make a political statement when he wants to. Amen? He makes one here, we think. And the statement he's making here is, the griffin vulture was the protector of Pharaoh. And guess what? That's turned around now, hadn't it? He's no longer protected. His army was drowned in the Red Sea, but you, because of my grace, I protected. How cool is that? They've drowned. You're still living. You still have the capacity for abundant life. You still have an incredible future. Here we go. I bore you on vultures' wings and brought you to myself. There's grace accepted... Y'all, you need to accept it right now. Just open up your life. In fact, can you just look up to heaven right now, open up your hands just like this, and just accept His grace. Lord, right now, all across this place, we're accepting the grace You have for us. Lord, You want to extend. You want to go ahead and like a flood, bring those waters of grace into our life. Lord, here we are. Bless us with Your grace that we can be totally, completely Yours. Amen. 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 Then there's this the now then responsibility. Look at it. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And everybody goes, Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Then these two words now then. <laughs> there are implications of grace. You see, I think we've, we've murdered the basic concept of grace, both Old Testament and New Testament in evangelicalism today. We love grace. We love God to spread all over our lives His goodness. We're not too sure about the responsibility part. But He says, you have a responsibility, and it's now then you need to obey My voice. You need to keep My covenant. If you want to go to the next level of abundant living, then know I can't bless you unless you take your share of the responsibility. Do what I'm asking you to do. Keep the covenant. Now, 600 years ago, we started that covenant with Abram. Now, we're going to the next level of abundant living of that covenant. Are you willing? Are you ready? Are you interested? Are you in to that next level? Well, if you are, know this. There's such a thing as Randy Maddox, a great scholar, said, There's such a thing as responsible grace. There's this interplay between the loving work of God in us, and that's what we love. Oh, God, come on. Give me your grace. Give me your grace. Give me your grace. But now, once we get grace, there is the work of God through us into a world that's desperate and lonely and hurting. And y'all, we have that world today, do we not? We've got two things on us in a pretty dramatic way. we got disease we're scared of. And we've got this charge of racism across America. And we are struggling with these things today. And we need His grace. And I've already said this, but if any church ought to feel itself responsible to go into the world with love and kindness, with open ears to say, hey, how can we help? In this time of crises in America, it's Dayspring Community Church. I believe it. He wants to do an enormous thing through us into this world. That's what I love about Miss Eleanor. She came here. She wasn't here any time at all before she's coming up to me and saying, Listen, can I be active at the jail with this church's name all over me? Can I be active? inside of this church was some kind of mission. She was asking, what are the options? Then eventually, she was challenged to be active. At John Hopkins, with our great uh, Bible club there, and she just came all in. Amen. And Lord, thank You for giving us the example of Miss Eleanor. And may we all be like that. Not once did she say, hey, I just want more grace for me. She knew that you were working in her, through her, for the gospel, and she wanted to be all in Jesus. Build that in all of us. In your name we pray. So, here we go. You want to go to the next level of abundant living, remember the in principle. Remember the wilderness education he wants to give to us. Remember, accept the grace he has for you. Remember, there's a responsibility. Now then, he says. Then, just real quick here, and this isn't real quick. This could last a long time. But there are three objectives that the teacher wants to lay on us. Now, if you're a teacher, by the way, I think it's very appropriate to call God a teacher here. Education comes from two, I believe it's Latin words. Ex, which is out of, and ducare, which is to lead. Education means literally... I'm going to lead you out of where you're at to something better. Education, saying, okay, here, yeah, I know you're here. Uh, let's go out from here to a more enlightened place, to a place of better activity, to a place that's going to bless you. So education is literally, I'm leading you out of that to this. Then there's the book of Exodus. Exodus comes from two words, ex plus hodas, which means the way out. How cool is that? Education and Exodus are about the same thing. So when we call God teacher here, we're thinking, all right. The semester's begun, and he sat down and says, what are the objectives of this classroom called Mount Sinai? What are the objectives I want for my group of students called the Israelites? And I believe he says the same thing for us. What are the objectives I want for my people here at Dayspring today? And this is what it says. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. You shall be for me. Listen, y'all, you've heard me say this before, but you are who you are because of your future. You see, Freud tried to teach us we are who we are because of our past. And I'm gonna tell you, Freud was at least part right. We are who we are because of our past. Stuff has happened in our past that has made me who I am. Yes? But an even greater thing that makes you who you are is what you think you're going to be in the future. Let me tell you, when I, when I was a junior in high school, I started getting a vision for what I might be as a discus thrower. I, you don't even know what that event is. I'm sorry about that. It's probably the oldest Olympic event. Remember the round thing, and they used, to, well, imagine me naked, and there's a discus right there, right? Now look at my bald head. It's not hard to imagine me naked, right? At least. So that was, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about here, Discobulus is his name. That's where we get discus. There's a discus here, and what they used to do in the old Olympics was they would get on top of a pillar, and they would jump off the pillar and throw the discus as far as they can. Whoever threw it the furthest won the Olympic event. Today, we get around in a circle, and we, uh, we twist around like this, and we throw the thing. And uh, that's still an Olympic event. I, I went to college. I went to high school based on I want to be a great discus thrower. And uh, so when I was a junior, I started thinking, you know, I might be like able to be one of the best in the nation, maybe the best in the nation. And so I figured out if I threw 200 feet, if I threw 200 feet, I bet I'd be the best in the nation. I don't doubt that. At Great Bend High School, there's still a place somewhere in that high school with the number 200 on because everywhere I went, I had a pencil and I marked 200 I put it on walls, I put it on desks, I put it in lockers. Everywhere I went where I knew I could see it, I was putting the number 200, 200 feet. If I throw 200 feet, I will be somebody. 200, 200. And basically, my senior year, I acted to that number of 200. Everything I did, I made friends to help me get the 200. I worked out every morning at 6 a.m. at the high school, I practically had to steal my way into the high school. They didn't want me there, but that's where the weights were. I stole into the high school to lift weights. Every morning at 6 a.m., I was there lifting weights. I ate, and I ingested fluids, and I did everything I possibly could to get me to that number 200. I'm very sad to be able to tell you right now I didn't get there. I got, however, to 198 feet 11 inches. And I wasn't the best in the nation, but I was third. And based on that, uh, I went to national meets. Uh, I was invited to come to University of Kansas and throw for them. I was passionate about that number 200. And because of the future of the number 200, 200 feet in my life, I acted towards that number. Now, this is the point. Jesus comes along one day and says, Hey, boys, come on with me. Follow me and I will make you. You're not there yet, but you will become what? Remember? Fishers of men. You're fishers of fish right now. That's nice. I'll make you fishers of men. Because of that future, they started to become. They started to evolve. They started to change. They were, at the end, fishers of men. He says here, hey, you're not there yet, but I will make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, I was saying something, because they were just slaves three months ago. Slaves! Now, God, God Almighty, Yahweh, is telling us we can be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? Wow! Now, quick, let me break this down. Kingdom, nation, that means community. He wants us. To be in community with one another. Vibrant community, exciting community, serving community. But he wants us in community. Y'all, this church is based on the community we have right here. But we're also based on small group community. We're taking a little break this summer, but there's some groups that say, I ain't taking a break. We're going to keep going. And so this, come fall, everyone, we want everybody here to be in a small group. Small group community. So there's big group community, there's small group community, then there's service community. The group of people you go regularly with to go out to the prison or to go to the nursing home or to go to John Hopkins Public School or wherever we go, the nursing homes, we're just saying, hey, we want to be part of community here because that's, hey, you ever think about this? God is community. God's a small group, God. You ever think about it? Three persons, blessed Trinity Father, Son, Spirit. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. God is community. And He makes you in His image. He wants you to be in community as well. See, all you come here, I thank God you're here this morning. But eventually what you've got to do is say, now I want to be part of some smaller communities that I might be all the person of God He wants me to be. Second thing is this, not just kingdom and nation, but He wants you to be a kingdom of priests. He says, listen, I need for you to pre- be priests. I need for you to serve each other and serve those who are outside. Of this community. I want servants. And y'all, you'll never know abundant life until you serve Jesus in some sacrificial way outside of this place. You ought to be serving one another, but you'll never know the abundant life of God until you serve. You're we thinking this morning, Miss Patricia, the first ministry I ever started was pro-life ministry. And Miss Patricia... She put that one on me the very first Sunday we ever met. Pastor, when are we going to start a pro-life ministry? And all I could think of was, I don't want to do that. But she hauled us out there. We've been out there ever since. Did I already share with you? A thousand lives have been saved because we've been out there. Praise be to God. And it's not us. We know it's not us. It's God through us. But He needs us there. Ms. Patricia started us off on that. Her husband started us off on prison ministry. Now, I'd been doing it, but I took a year off so I could do a... I had no idea someone was going to come up to me and say, hey, let's go out to the prison. I wanted to say, well, can you just wait a minute? But that couple dragged this church into ministry. First thing. Now, we said, hey, we want to be ministers. We want to be people of priestly service. I had no idea it'd come from the laity. Can you just hang on and let me lead? They didn't hang on and let me lead. He says, "We're leading. Let's go." We went, and God's blessed this church every step of the way, and He'll bless you every step of the way if you decide I'm going to quit living for myself. I'm going to live for others, particularly the needy others. He'll bless you beyond your wildest imagination. He'll bless you. So, Kingdom of Nations Community Priestly is service, and then there's this holy nation, holy. He wants you to be holy. Holy means. The character of God. If God is kind, He wants you to be kind. If God is loving, He wants you to be loving. If God is poor in spirit, it says Jesus, says He emptied Himself, became man, then you need to be emptied of yourself and become something extraordinary. I'm thinking, oh, all right, so I, I just gave that lecture. It was years later after giving the lecture at seminary, when I started looking down, I said, I wonder if this is in the New Testament anywhere. I flipped over some pages in Matthew. I found it right there. They didn't even have to look for it. It was right there. Right after the temptation, it says Jesus went and began preaching and teaching. Then it says he gathered together some disciples. He said, hey, boys, come follow me. He said to two brothers. He said to two more brothers, hey, boys, come follow me. And so he starts community right there in Matthew 4. Next thing it says, so it's community, right? Next thing it says is, then Jesus began going out, preaching and teaching, but also healing the demon-possessed, those with various diseases, the lepers. He began touching them. And through touching them, he made a profound difference in their life. That would be priestly service. Then it says, the Sermon on the Mount starts. What's the first thing in Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who have an appetite, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who can show joy even when they're getting pummeled with persecution. That's character. That's actually the self-portrait of Jesus. And Jesus says, that's what I want you to be. That's holy character, y'all. Can I say right now? I can say it in a way that only a Kansan that's now a Mississippian can say it. I learned this. Y'all taught me. He wants all y'all to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Three objectives of God. The teacher wants to bring you to that place. And the last thing is this. The last principle is this. The rallying cry of the learner is... All that the Lord has spoken, it's verse 8, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. <laughs> there's, a, uh, there's a compilation called the Mishnah. It's an old Jewish compilation. It's a compilation of the rabbis who taught things. Sometimes they were fanciful things, sometimes very insightful Sometimes just you almost look at it and say, that's just kind of silly. But nonetheless, a compilation of what the rabbis were saying about the law. And I love this story. I looked it up last night to make sure it was actually in the mission. I was like, oh, that's just so good. I can't, I'm not sure it's there. Looked it up, it's there. And it went like this: God had Torah, these 613 laws that he wanted the people to follow. Because in following these laws and trying to follow these laws, He could make a people extraordinary. So keep trying to follow these laws. And the greatest of the laws is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, love your neighbors, you love yourself. Just follow these laws, 613 of them. Follow the law. But before Israel knew anything about the law, he showed it to all the other nations of the world. He said, uh, here, nation, read the law and uh, tell me whether you're in. So they read the law and said, no, no, we're not in. You ever seen some of those 613 laws? He said to another nation here, read the law and see if you're in. So he went to all the nations of the world. And all the nations of the world looked down. They read the law and said, Nah. Then he went to Israel. And Israel said, We don't have the need, we don't need to read it. Because if it's you, all that the Lord All that Yahweh has spoken, we're going to do. And so their commitment that they couldn't keep, but their commitment was nonetheless, if God wants us to do it, if Yahweh, if this great covenant God of Israel wants us to do it, we don't have to read it, we're going to do it. You know what that's called? The law of the blank check. Who here today is willing to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. Now, before you answer, oh, I'm in for that, stop just a minute. Dayspring, many years ago, we actually, uh, I'm not sure if it's in this bill. I forget where we were. I Boy, uh, 60-year-old brain here. <laughs> but I remember this. I remember this day. I said, listen, if you are willing to go to the mission field, willing to go, if you're willing to go, I'm not saying he's going to send you. But if you're willing to go to the mission field, I'd just like for you to stand up right now. We're gonna pray for you. I anticipated everybody would stand up. People were honest that night. About three people stood up. I looked out and thought, what in the world? So I explained. If you are entirely in, entirely sanctified, if you have said to the Lord, I'm complete in you, then you you just sign the blank check. All the Lord's gonna tell me I'm gonna do. So, understanding that, how many willing to stand up right now so I can pray you into the mission field? No one was willing to stand! So before you say, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, you've got to think in terms of, what if He says, leave all your stuff and follow me in the hardest, darkest place of this community or the hardest, darkest place in the world? I'm willing to do it if He wants me to do it. That world, that, the whole thing of all that the Lord spoke with, sounds kind of romantic, doesn't it? Yeah, that's me, man. I'm all in for Jesus. Well, if you are, tell Him. And if you tell Him, guess what? You're about ready to step to the next level of abundant living. But you also might hang on a cross. Anybody here want to go to the next level? Follow the Son. Just go ahead and stand up, Dayspring. Father, Son, and Spirit. We pray like, right now for a next level group of people. Now, that's a challenge, Lord. It means taking off from a comfortable place to perhaps a place that's not nearly so comfortable. It means saying, hey, I'm willing to live in a desert wasteland and be educated by God there. It means, Lord, that we're willing to deny ourselves to take up the cross and follow, Lord Jesus, right there is the abundant, hilarious life of God, even in this life. But Lord, all that the Lord has spoken we will do is quite the challenge. Not everybody here today is ready for it. But some people are. And those of us who are, may we pray right now, I'm in. I'm in, Lord all that the Lord has spoken. Amen. In. in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. God bless you, Day Spring. Thank you.